With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Face Off. This is going to be an international break special. Pretty much we're just going to go through all the talking points at Liverpool, go through most of the players who seem to split the fan base, so pretty that could be anyone uh, in the fan base apart from Van Dyke, really. But um, joining me is Tom Holmes. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, it's good to be on again, Guy. It's been a while since I've been on Face Off. Um, but yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks, mate. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's got to continue the trend of me being on every podcast you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm good. And joining us is Mark Roberts. How you doing, Mark? Hi, mate. How you doing? Good to be on again with you on Face Off. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you. You're always on the second on show, aren't you? So it's good stuff. Uh, and joining us who can't talk at the minute because his missus is blow drying her hair is Jay Reed. <laughs> uh, but we'll crack on whilst his missus is in the background. Um, hello, hello. I will say hello briefly, but then I will be back uh, in five no minutes. Bother. Right. So that, that's, that's the level of preparation we've done here, people. But uh, Tom, I'll start with you. Um, Obviously, you do the writers' pod and you go through fan reactions to certain people, but the season so far, I mean, I think everyone would agree it's been brilliant. It's been near perfect. But there does seem to be that weird sense of possibly pessimism. That might be the wrong word for it, but there does seem to be kind of a negative twinge on stuff, even though it's been one of our best seasons ever. Starts to a season ever, I should say. Yeah, I think it's always a case of a lot of people... Maybe it's, I think it's instinctive to kind of look for perfection. You kind of look at this team and go, all right, we're playing really well and we're winning games, but how can we be better? I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with sort of saying, you know, how can this team be better? As long as you do contextualize it with, you know, this team's playing really well and we are doing a lot of good stuff. And I think it, the way we're playing as well, I think we're playing really, really solid d- defensive football at times, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's not necessarily the type of football that some people would would want to see. I think, you know, for a lot of people, maybe last season was a bit more exciting, uh, even if it's not necessarily more successful. And I mean, you know, to a lot of people, if something's not as exciting, there's there's got to be something sort of underlying wrong with it, which makes a lot of sense because our, our attack hasn't been quite as fluid as it was at points in last season. So I can un- I can understand the pessimism. And I think, you know, as long as that pessimism is sort of belayed by okay, we are doing really well, then I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, Mark, what, what do you think of it? Do you, do you add anything to what Tom said? I think the, the main thing I'd agree with Tom is is the style of football. It's not quite as adventurous as attacking as it was last year, so that's probably shook a few people up. And I, I think it's the, the Man City thing. I think just because they are so good and so impressive that 
it's it's all well and good, and it's been one of our best ever starts. But we are still two points off first, so I think there's the, the frustration in that that as good as we have been and as solid defensively as we've been and as many points as we've picked up and we're unbeaten, we are still two points off first. So it's a frustration, I think, to how how good City are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Tom, coming back to you, do you think we can add that extra spice up front that we obviously meant uh, you mentioned that we had last season and still keep this defensive stability? Is that is that the is that the magic that we're looking for, or do you think that's kind of almost impossible? Does you have to have one balanced in one direction if you get what I mean? I, I think there's a. I think you're right. There's a balance. I don't. I don't think we can massively improve an attack without necessarily sacrificing some of our defensive defensive stability. But equally, if you look at the way we're playing, there are certain individual individuals in that side who are not necessarily playing at their best anyway. So I feel as though there is. You could definitely get more out of certain players without necessarily having to massively change the system or massively tweak it to be more attacking. I think you know. There have been occasions where we've gotten good positions on the counter attack and we've not made the right decisions. I, I do feel as though there is there is improvements to be made, but equally I, I do think that those improvements are not going to be vast because of the fact that in certain games we are sort of basically switching off at two not switching off but shutting down at two nil, which I think is a very very astute tactical move to make. Um, whereas last season we were going hell for leather for ninety minutes rather than sort of we're at two nil we can take it a bit easier. And I, as I say, I, I think there is a balance. I think we can play better in, in attack on the counter-attack, but equally, I think we can't necessarily massively improve in attack with the current style that we're playing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and uh, Jay, um, what, what's your thoughts on the situation? And I, I want to ask you this specifically because obviously you're a scouser and stuff like that, but is is this just a social media thing or is the kind of that weird sense in the, in the local fan base as well? I think it's more the media of the local variety and social media that have hyped it up into being a bit more of a an issue that it actually is. Yeah. So, I I mean, if, I I find if you go to the ground, it's just more relaxed in terms of we're comfortable in knowing that we're not going to concede more than probably one goal. I think we've only conceded two on a couple of occasions in Europe and I think it's the League, league Cup game against Chelsea mm-hmm. we've conceded two goals I don't think we've seen more than one in the league so you just got that natural more confident vibe of we've got a decent goalie who we now begin obviously there's still murmurs around the ground of panic when he does try and <laughs> take a bit too long on the ball but you've got Van Dijk and you've got Presumably a more settled defence when obviously you find Gomez, Trent and Robertson at the back. So that sense of panic of even if we were 1-2-0 up and then you get to the last 15 minutes and like the other week when Cardiff grabbed the goal, there wasn't such an apprehensive feel of Cardiff are going to get back in this. It was like, right, we'll just go into third and fourth gear and blow these away now. And yeah, as uh, Mark and Thomas said earlier on, we're only two points off the top, but you'd think the way some people are reacting that we're out the title race already. So people just need to take a step back and relax. Really, there's not that much to worry about. So we're getting into the meat and bones of the season now. So if we're in this position come January and people are still unhappy, then they need to really take a long look at what themselves. Are really, are you a fan, or are you just there because 
you want to get follows, likes, and bantered on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, maybe... I, w- I was just asked this on the uh, Premier League preview. And I'll stick with you, Jay. Do you think the fact that Man City are what they are, regardless of what happens off the pitch with all the accusations and stuff like that, do you, do you think the fact that Man City are as good as they are, it just kind of, it's just typical Liverpool? Because obviously, whenever we've been good, we've obviously had one of the best Man United teams ever under Rafa, uh, Man City in 13 14, and now we're against one of the best teams in Premier League history. Yeah, it's it gets that kind of feel of it could just be, you know, it's it's our luck that when we actually do get a good side that somebody else is just a little bit better than us. Um but you know, they they are they peaking too soon or not? That's mm-hmm. the question that I've got to ask myself is we haven't really, if you'd ask most of the fans, we've not really got out of second or third gear much this season, maybe one or two games earlier on West Ham. Um, in moments, a couple of other games for 20, 30 minute spells, but they've not blew anyone away. And if, if that is to come in reflection to last season, it started around about this time after the last international break, we started to pick up our form and go on a bit of a roll and started blowing teams away. So we've also got that to look forward to. And Man City, in all due respect, what, what they have spent and what goes on and off the field. They've had a couple of tough games, but they seem to always play three or four teams in the bottom six or seven mm. of a row, and then they might have a challenge. And it just seems like we only might get one or two of them in a row, and then we've also got a challenging game. So I, it's just something that I think people are making a mountain out of a mole with it. And yeah, as I just said, assess it in the end of January, see where we are then, and if we're still in it, then... It'll be all fun and games going into the second half of yeah, the season. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Tom, I'll come. I'll come with you on this, and we'll start getting into the players then. And um, <clears throat> Jay mentioned obviously the added security of having a good goalkeeper. <sighs> obviously, very not very early, but probably like a third or so into the season. Now, how would you judge the impact that Allison's had on the team? I think it's difficult to judge. I think it's difficult to judge for a number of reasons. I think if you look at the sort of the brute numbers and the sort of the brute appearance of things, you could argue that he's made a huge impact. But I think if you look a little bit deeper, I think the deeper you look, the more sort of messy it becomes because I don't think he's been called into action very much till this season. I think, you know, we really haven't needed him. I think he's been fine. I don't think as an individual he's played particularly well consistently. He's just not really been used. The amount of times I've been sat on um, the post-match pods and gone, right, well, Alisson made one save today. Like, it's just unreal. Um, I think that's largely down to our defence. I, I do think that having a competent def- goalkeeper behind your defence does make things a lot more secure, though. I think, you know, having a goalkeeper who doesn't make too many big mistakes, although he's made one or two um, so far this season, you know, a goalkeeper who doesn't make many big mistakes, who has a calming influence, who can pass the ball really well, I think, you know, just having him there instead of Carriers has its own effect. So I don't, I think, you know, it's difficult to judge to what extent he's been a factor. But I, I personally would say that for me, he's not done a lot yet. And that's fine. I mean, I have said before, if, if at the end of the season, I'm looking at Allison's season going, he didn't really do much. That's great. It means our goalkeeper hasn't had to do much. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Um, so for me, for me, it's difficult to judge. But as I say, you know, the fact that as a defence we look a lot more comfortable and secure cannot 
just be down to the centre-backs. I think a lot of it has got to be down to the fact that we don't have a goalkeeper who incites panic, and that is a big thing at this club, which hasn't been the case for a few years now, even if he's not necessarily hit top form yet. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that myself. But from from your point of view, Mark, what, what would you say? What would you say Allison's biggest impact's been there? Pro- as Tom said, then probably the calmness he's brought the whole defence from general play to set plays. We just look a lot more calm and. You don't have a fear that we're going to concede anymore, like you had last year. And much as I agree with Tom that he hasn't really made any match of the day saves, if you like, that highlights ones, it was probably saves that Carriers and Mignolet wouldn't be making. I think like the Leicester game, he made a, a key bomb when the score was tight and he's making good saves at, at the right time and his distribution again against the Fulham game, the way he got the ball down and, and played a dead dead quickly and set up Trent to set up Mo for the goal. We haven't had that before. And that was a, a tight game, really. And that goal then opens the game up and we go on and win it from there. So he's had a good impact in calming the defence, making regulation saves, if you like, but also his distribution has been has been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Jay, you obviously mentioned that he's, he's kind of added a can't at all a calming influence in part in, in the crowd but uh, I'll, I'll move on to Keita with you um, how, how do you feel about Keita obviously he's been injured for a few games now but he's had a bit of a mixed start hasn't he he's been out for one now about five six weeks isn't he um, he started pretty well so everyone was massively expecting this huge impact and you heard various stories, a mix of Kante and Yester, he's, he's this, he's that, and I think the hype was a bit too much for when he first came in, and he'd done a, a couple of nice things. I'd obviously got off on a big firework display when he done that little turn mm. against Crystal Palace and chipped the ball over to Mo Salah, but I think then he's he's sort of coming fits and starts, and people have got on his case needlessly, and then he obviously picked up a couple of knocks. He picked up one in Napoli and one in international break. And the only thing I thought, which was a bit unfair, was he could have done with a bit more time in the last couple of games. When I mean, there was no point bringing him on for 80 seconds against um, Fulham the other week unless you were just destroying someone's fantasy Premier League points <laughs> for not playing the full 90. Um, but, I mean, you've got to give the lad time and people positively and negatively have hit on other players, aka Firmino and Shakiri and they've come in and come out of the team, obviously in more periods in the last few weeks. But I think you will see the best of Keita when he gets to run solidly in the team and probably with a solid partner either be in that in a Wijnaldum, whether it be Fabinho, whether it be Henderson, whether it be in a two or a three. But I think it was hit on one of the pods the other week by Dave and Gags. It was you don't go and spend the best part of 80, 90 million on two central midfielders who've played in a two to not play them in a two or not play them at all. So I think we probably will get to that at the end of the season in the, in the second half when you'll find that we've got a more settled team and given the importance of games, whatever competitions we're in and what point it might become the situation where you do see the best of Cater in the second half of the season, like we did see the best of Ox and Robertson last season in the second half, once they've bedded in and they've got used to the system and the players. Yeah, yeah. And and Tom, I'm going to have to come to you on this because you've 
you've obviously compared Kate to Gerard. <laughs> Uh, I'm sticking that in, but, uh, but you obviously have huge expectations for Cater, and obviously, he's had a bit of a mixed start, as we, as we said, um, but, have you, have you seen the signs of a promising player that you, that you have so much high expectations for, Tom? Yes, categorically, yes. Um, he's, what I think is really good is if you actually look at, there's two things for me that really highlight how, how good is gonna be. The first of which is that you look at the games that he's been playing. Those are the games where we look like we were playing our best football to an extent. And he's one of, when he's he's been in that midfield three, that is one of the few times this season that midfield three has really looked like it's worked. In fact, I'd go so far as to say our midfield three this season hasn't worked at all without Cater in it. I'd agree with that. Um, so I think that much. I think the other, the other thing is, if you look at some of his underlying numbers, some of his progression numbers, some of his um, packing stats, some of the more some of the more really nitty gritty numbers, they sort of highlight how him, how phenomenal he is, particularly in terms of his dribbling, because his ability to take players out of the game is so important. Um, and I mean, maybe he's a different type of dribbler than Gerard, for example. But one of Gerard's sort of big elements was he could just sort of drive through that midfield, and I think that's something that Cater will absolutely bring to the table. Um, I mean, I you know, I don't think. You know, when I say I think he's going to be like just jettisoning Stephen Gerrard into the middle of our midfield, I don't think you know. I I do you know. I accept that's going to take time. It is going to be the case that Cater is going to take time to settle, and that's fine. I think you know anyone who's been panicking over the form of like Cater and Fabinho less than three months their Liverpool career just needs to calm down a bit because really they're gonna, you know, they will be fine. It's just a case of taking time. Um, yeah, for me, I've seen enough to know that Cater is a player who is going to be. Explosive, and I I genuinely believe that he's going to be the best midfielder in the Premier League. I in my in my mind, since we've signed him from Leipzig, there's been no doubt in my mind he's going to drop in and become, if not the best, certainly one of the top three or five Premier League midfielders. And I don't think I don't think that's overhyping him. And I don't think that if we look back in a season, two seasons time, if you look, you know, if you look back over the medium to long haul, I don't think there's going to be it's not going to be the case that he was overhyped. That's my take on it. Anyway, I appreciate right now it looks like he might have been overhyped, but as I say, we're only three months in and he's picked up a couple of niggling injuries. If you give him some time to settle, he's he's going to be that good. I genuinely believe that. That's big praise, that. But Mark, um, your thoughts on Cater and might as well bring in his possibly future central midfield partner in Fabinho and, and his start to the club. So do you, want, do you want to start us off with Fabinho and any thoughts on Cater? Do, do you have anything I'd add for Naby would be it's the expectation, I think. Because we'd signed him a year ago, we were all waiting for him for that year. So the the expectation had built up so much and the, the, the price he was. And then I think with, with missing out on Fakir and with Ox being injured, we all sort of thought and hoped he'd be that the dynamic, the man in midfield. And Tom was right that the games he's played, I think he's played very well. We, we, we've looked a better team with him in the team. Uh, it's been very unfortunate, the injuries he's picked up and he hasn't been able to get more minutes where he could have got minutes. And again, even where games are won that he could have come on the bench and contributed more. But the games he has played in, I've been very impressed with him. And as for Fabino, again, the games he's played, I think he's played very well. It's Arsenal wasn't his best game, but that was a tough game for all of us and the midfield in general didn't have a great game there he, I, would, I wouldn't have thought he was the worst player on the pitch that game but the other games he's played we've looked very good with him he's, he does what he's there to do he's more 
of a shield for the defence. There's a few little cynical, niggly fouls in there as well, which is always good. And I think we've sort of lacked that again over the years. Fernandinho excels in that role. If you can't get the ball, get the man as long as it's in an area where it's unlikely they'll hurt you. As the past Liverpool players such as Lucas were doing those fouls, but 20, 30 yards from goal where you'd give away a free kick and inevitably it would lead to a goal. Again, I think it took him time to settle and Klopp probably did the right thing in not throwing him in straight away. But when he has played, he's looked good and the partnership he's had with Ginny, he's looked better. And again, the one game where he didn't probably look the best was when we played a three, but he's never really played a three. He played a two at Monaco and the Mm. games where he's played in a two with Ginny, he's looked very well and and the midfield functioned well and then you got the opportunity to get Shaq in and and have that extra supporting creativity up front, which hopefully going forward will be Naby and Fabinho as a two and they will work. And yeah, I think we'll be a much better team for it when we can get the two of them fit and firing together. Yeah, and Jay, I'll come to you on this. I know I've followed you on Twitter for a while now, and we've obviously done fantasy pods. I know you're a a bit of a critic for our for our old crop of midfielders, and you've obviously mentioned uh, had you say on Kerr, but what what do you think Fabinho's done? Because obviously we've seen more of him recently. What do you think he's brought to the team that the other midfielders didn't? I think what he's brought in terms of what we've we've got at the moment and what we don't have from last season is the ability to get the ball down and drive forward a la what we used to have with Chan and what we obviously were missing this season with Ox. But for me, it's the the ability that he has to get his head up quickly and move the ball forward. I mean, anyone who does follow me or anyone who does know me is finds out I'm not a massive fan of so shall we just say the English midfielders Brexit. we have in our <laughs> team? Um, yeah. Um, so my, what I find more annoying is the fact that they, they spend a lot of time playing the safety ball. And whether it's just to do with a nationalist thing or whether it's just to do with the type of play that they are, Fabino and Cater and Wijnaldum, if they've got the opportunity to play the ball forward, they will take it and they will take risks and you know, if we are going to be challenging for the title, then we are going to have to take risks at some point in time. So, it's for me, it's it's only a small sample size of he's played five games. As uh, Mark touched on, the one he did struggling was when we played a three. But I don't think many of our players um, actually excelled in the Arsenal game. We did get outplayed, and we we did do well, really, in my opinion, just to take a draw from that game. Um, so we can't have any complaints from that. But when he has played in a two, which is what Klopp said, he bought he bought him obviously from what he could see and he's played in a two and his words himself where the system was better for Fabinho to play in a two. So he obviously knows his strengths and qualities and we have seen the best of him in that position. And one other thing I like Adam is people have this idea he would be the defensive midfielder, the what the shield he would sit there, but there is times, given the system we've been playing, that you'll find them more advanced than the likes of Firmino and Mane and Shakiri at times going in, breaking the lines into the into the box. So that's something that we have missed for a few years. I think from the like 
our centre midfield as players who will break into the box and it's a threat that we do need and we should be taking more advantage of. Like you see so many times with Man City, they get to the byline, they cut balls back and you'll find the centre midfield that have been De Bruyne, Silva, either Bernardo or David, um, cutting into the box and coming on to pretty much tappings and it's something that we should be looking to exploit given the, the speed and the pace that we have got and the ability in our wide areas to get to the byline and get balls back and get bodies breaking into the box. So for me, that that's the small sample size qualities that I've seen. But, you know, people who are jumping on the back of the players already, they've only been here three or four months, then, you know, judge them at the end of the season, see where we are at the end of the season. If you would have been saying this last season about the likes of Robertson and Oxlade-Chamberlain, then they were hardly in the team. So... You know, take everything with a pinch of salt and we'll assess things at the end of the mm-hmm. season for me, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Tom, anything you want to add on to Fabino? And then probably to finish up on the new lads, obviously the probably the surprise signing of the summer or successful signing of the summer in, in Shakiri and how he started. I think Shakiri's been a really nice counterbalance because I do think a midfield to Fabinho and Vinaldum is too defen- not too defensive. Um, it, it's not, it is a defensive midfield, is what I would say. It's not an, it's not a progressive midfield in any way, shape or form, but that's fine, because when you've got someone like Shakiri in there, he does give you that extra sort of link between attack and, attack and midfield. Um, I, I do like Shakiri a lot. I think he's been a really, really impressive signing. Um, he's getting stuck in. He's providing a useful, a useful option. I mean, I think it's very important that we've got players like him who can come in and play effectively in short bursts in that sort of cameo role when when the likes of Bobby aren't necessarily playing particularly well. Um, so I think he's been really important in that sense. I do think he's getting a little bit overhyped, which is understandable given that he's actually, you know, he's played quite well and he's, you know, dropped quite a few goal contributions in the in the sort of the first first sort of ten games or so he's played for us. Um I I really like Shakiri. I really do. I think he's been a, a top player for us so far. The question is just whether or not he's going to be able to consistently deliver that. And I mean, that's the big one, isn't it? Um, I'm really excited to see how he does. So, um, going forward, um, but as I say, we've seen everything we've seen from him so far has been very, very positive. And that's a really good sign because we were, there have been times where we've been looking at this midfield going, where's the creativity going to come from? And the answer's right in front of us. It's Shakiri. Can I just cut in on something you said there, Tom, about Ginny and Fabino always being too defensive? Do you think that's possibly something the Klopp's telling them to do? Obviously, the last two games for Holland, Ginny's played more of a 10 and he's scored in both games. So is it that he has the ability and potential to be more attacking, but Klopp's doesn't want him to be? That is, that's my theory. Uh, it's a very, very weird one because Ginny, when he joined the club, was obviously a number 10. And yeah, his first his, winger stroke ten it, when we bought and his, him, but and his first season he was really good. But then this season and last season he's been easily our most defensive midfielder, and that doesn't quite add up for me. And he's been at his best when he's been in, in the defensive midfield position as well. That's the thing. And when we played him in a double pivot, and when we played him in the six, he's been really good. And when we've asked him to play as one as one of the most more attacking midfielders in the midfield, he's really struggled. So I'm very curious to see how much of it is tactical and how much of it is just in this specific setup his skill set maybe suits a different... It's very strange. It, I agree with you, though. It must be something Klopp's told him to do because I do find it very strange how quickly he shifted from being a very, very attacking midfielder to a very, very defensive one. It must be because I remember last year was it the City away game where Henderson was suspended and that was the first proper time he'd played 
as the six for us and everybody was almost fearful of it that oh, Ginny's got to play as a six, we're going to get overrun there. But yeah, as you say, it arguably his better performances for us have come in that role. But then he, it's just such a different role that he plays for Holland and has success playing that. So it's such a strange one that why his role and is so different for club and country, but he seems to excel in both, but it's the middle role that, for me, he seems to struggle in. So if he's the 6 or the 10, he does well, but if he's the 8, he seems to struggle and can't can't get hold of the game, doesn't have an influence on the game, and you don't really get anything from him. It's, it's quite bizarre, really, isn't it? I think as personally it's as... Is probably his talent of his upbringing, and obviously we all know the history with Dutch football and the total football philosophy of playing several positions and not being pigeonholed into one as you're a youngster, so you can adapt and fit into any which position that you may find yourself as your career progresses. But I think it's his physicality and his actual makeup that makes him better than those two positions. His strength on the ball and his ability to shield and hold players off. And actually nip in and get tackles. Obviously that helps him when he plays a six, but also his power and his ability to drive with the ball. And again, the shield and when you've got your back to goal with playing as a number 10. But then when he's, when he's on an eight, he hasn't got that explosive pace of pace to get away from players or he's not as rangy as you find Fabinho because of his, his leg size. So maybe that's where he is struggling or it is tactical and Klopp's just Realise that he's actually more tactically aware and astute than some other players, so he can be more trusted in the six. But then if he's playing alongside somebody else who's trying to bark orders and trying to dominate the six position, he kind of feels like he might have to step aside and listen to them. I don't know what that's a feeling that I possibly could go with. If he's he's just doing as he's told, really. And if if your captain on the pitch is playing in the number six position. And telling you where to go, then who are you to argue with the captain? It is. I agree. I think uh, it's tactical. I I think I think it's that he has that tactical nous in that six role because he's not he's not a big tackler and he's not a big dribbler. Neither of those things are sort of his big strengths. But for some reason, but he does both of them quite well. If that makes sense, like he gets himself in positions where he doesn't have to tackle, and the way he dribbles means that he's often not beating players because he's already the right side of them. So it's a very strange one. He's not particularly skilled in either of those areas but he's a technically very very good footballer and I think he finds ways to do things he finds ways to get the right in the right positions to do the right things and that for me is very very important I, I do think it is that his tactical mouse suits that position more than anything else to be honest with you he's very good on the ball as well as he he very rarely gives it away he just and his passing is certainly more progressive than Henderson when Henderson's in that role and He's just a good footballer. And Depends how you define progressive, to be fair. Yeah, true. He's, but, he's uh, got the highest passing accuracy in our team, which makes a lot of sense. But he's also he's also easily the safest passer in our midfielder, which isn't in our midfield, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But he is he is easily the safest passer in that midfield. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, the, the thing with Ginny for me, I was, I was going to save him for later, but might as well talk about him now. He, he's definitely one of the most baffling players in recent times for me, because everyone seems to like him, apart from you, Tom. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't dislike him. I don't dislike him. 
I I find yeah. him baffling he, as well. He, he just, everyone seems to like him, but you can't really you can't really pen in what he does so amazingly well compared. To, like he, obviously you can obviously look at previous midfielders and you Xabi Alonso and you mask around just go well they, they were just brilliant at most things. Whereas with Ginny, it's like I'm not sure what he does, but I like him. <laughs> That's probably he's just such a he's such a weird player. So yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the baffling ones. But I mean. Jay, obviously, you seem quite a fan of him. Would would you like to see Ginny move further forward? Because obviously, we started using more of a two in midfield. Would you like to see Ginny as the ten? When if we're not trusting Shakiri in certain games or something like that, I could see it happening in games that might become more of a, a higher profile in terms of if we are to see the likes of Fabinho and Cater in the midfield too, and we are. Able to flip between the four three three and the four two three one system of he doesn't seem to like want to trust Shikiri in the bigger games, whether that's something that will come over time or whether it's something that he he's seen on the training field or whatever. But he could then play Ginny in the role that he is playing the progressive uh, positions for Holland and he is getting advanced and he's playing sort of from the right hand side. So if we are playing the system of Salah as the 9, Firmino as the 10, and Mane from the left, then you could play Ginny from the right. That would also give Trent a bit more protection mm. um, than what you're getting previously from Shakiri if you're playing from that out to win goal. <laughs> Pretty much, but then in-game you could also, given obviously the tactical situation and where you are at the time and the position of the pitch, you could just change it straight back into a four-three-three and drop them back in, and just rotate the forwards back out. So it would give you the tactical flexibility without having to make a substitution to change things. So it could be something that we could see. I think when we go away from home in the bigger games, like we haven't had the position where we can use the players because of injuries so far. Like we went to Chelsea and Arsenal, and we did play the three, which didn't work at Arsenal, but. We are going to the Etihad in early January, so you could see something like that possibly going into that game where he's fitted Fabinho and Keita maybe into the team and who knows where we are with form dependence and injuries and so on going into that time of year. But I don't see why we can't use him in that position because he's proven as well as he's there as we've seen for Holland in the past two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd just ask that. But we'll move on from Ginny, and uh, we'll come through some of the more mm, negatively balanced arguments on um, social media in, in in the fan base and stuff like that. So I'll probably start off with... Yeah, I'll start <laughs> off with... The, mar- the Marmite well, players. I mean, Marmite's meant, Marmite's meant to be 50-50, like not like... 2080 <laughs> uh, but this probably might be the most unanimous one especially this season so far but Mark I'll start with you um, obviously this is the first season in like two and a, well probably about one and a half seasons we've seen Lalana actually get minutes um, his reintroduction hasn't been pretty has it it hasn't no his, his impact's been pretty poor to be honest, it's just... We're all Liverpool fans. We all obviously want Liverpool to win and to do well. And anybody that Klopp chooses to play, you're hoping that they have a good game and they help the team win, whether that be defensively stopping the other team scoring or 
attacking, creating or scoring a goal. It, it's just not there, is it? To be fair, he he's had three or four good good months for Liverpool, and other than that, it's been very patchy. But the games he's played this year, he's just looked so so off the pace. And again, he has been back from injury for a while now, so but he's been injured for a long time. He needs to find his feet. Argument just doesn't cut it with me. He's played all his career in England. He's been at Liverpool for four or five years now. But with a certain media section or a certain fan base, he just seems to get plaudits that aren't warranted, don't deserve, and more more leeway than Cater or Fabino got. I mean, he's played some shocking games this year, but there's still people that would maybe pick him or wouldn't be disgruntled seeing he's him. Been, and he's been Fabinho labelled a has Coutinho replacement this week. <clears throat> that's, that's just clickbait nonsense, <laughs> isn't it? But then Fabinho has one average game against Arsenal and there's people saying he shouldn't play for Liverpool again and he's not good enough. And, and Lalala's been trotting out performances worse than that for a considerable amount of time now. And he, he's just unreliable. And... We talk about squad depth and, and what we've got and he's he's certainly the the lowest of the midfielders, isn't he? I think Cater, Fabino, Henderson, Milner and Wijnaldum are all ahead of him and I would say considerably ahead of him now and you're almost starting to think now a, a Curtis Jones or something would be more useful because at least he's, the will to win would be more there, you would think, with him. It's just... I wouldn't be happy to see Lallana starting a game for Liverpool again this season. I'll be perfectly honest. I I personally think that's a bit harsh. I think um, I think I don't think it helps when people like you know we all know who we're talking about here. People people hype him up to death. It's like Adam Lallana's back. Adam Lallana's going to get a game. Adam Lallana's going to be. Bro- I don't think any of that helps because I do think you know. He clearly has gone. He clearly is is going to struggle to reach his best period. I also think the idea that he only ever played well for three months is a bit unfair, given that he was one of our better player, one of our best players in fifteen sixteen. A lot of people tend to forget that, but he did. He he does stack up pretty well in terms of Premier League in fifteen sixteen. So he did have a he did have a solid eighteen months where he was a very important part of the club system. I do agree that he's our weakest midfielder on paper, and I do agree that the team has evolved beyond him. But I do think it's very unfair to sort of say. Well, he's been injured for 18 months, therefore, like, I think it's unfair to write off that argument because I think, you know, it's very, very obvious he's not playing anywhere near his best. And it's, it's, it is a fair argument to make that he might not ever get back to anywhere near his best. That's also a fair argument. But I don't think you can necessarily say that what he's, what he's playing at the moment is the best you're going to get from him. I don't think that's necessarily fair. You know, he's only started four, uh, four games this season, I think. Yeah. No, sorry. Five, uh, Three games a season he started, sorry. So he started three games. That's not a huge sample size. It's going to be difficult for him to build any sort of rhythm or any sort of leeway, especially when in those three games, I'm pretty sure he's been played in three separate positions. I think he's played as a left winger, he's played as a 10, and he's played as a central midfielder. So, in you know, in many respects, it is going to be difficult for him. And he's, he's going to struggle to get the minutes to ever reach any sort of rhythm. And that's, that's fair enough. But I do think it's very un, unfair to sort of lamb blast him in, in the way that I think some people have. Just because I think, you know, look, he's clearly not going to be the Phil Coutinho replacement. That's just hot garbage. That's an awful take that's never going to be true. And I do think it's unfair that certain people are sort of saying he's, you know, giving him different treatment to Fabinho or Cater because that's just 
patently nonsense as well. They're both far superior players. But I think, you know, he he is struggling. But I think part of the reason that he's struggling, I don't think you can just write that off. I don't think you can just say, he's rubbish now. That is who he is. He's never going to be good again. Sack him off. I don't think that's necessarily fair because the truth is, he, we, he, we might not be in a place to ever get the best out of Lalana, but I certainly think he is a player that does have something to offer if we can tap into that. I don't think we will, and I don't think it's worth trying. I do agree with that because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see the benefit to shoehorning him into the side to get him to a place where he's going to be good enough. But equally, I don't think that it's fair to sort of say, you know, he's played a ha- he's played a handful of starts in games where, let's be fair, the midfield was dreadful. Let's be fair, the red star debacle was not even close to being on him because Genie was garbage and Milner was garbage, and a lot of players in that game were really, really terrible. Like so, let you know that is, you know it's going to be difficult for him to play well in games like that. Huddersfield again, the midfield was awful that day. Henderson was garbage and Milner was garbage. So you know he's he has been thrown into games where the team has not played well as a whole. And I think you know he might benefit from playing a lot. You know he might benefit from playing in the Shakiri role or playing in the ten role when we've got you know Fabinho and Cater behind him. You know that might be the sort of games where you actually get a bit more out of them. I I think. I think it isn't fair to say he's played terribly over the last sort of 18 months or so, two years, because he hasn't had the opportunities to. And I think, you know, it's fair enough to say he doesn't deserve those opportunities because he's not not as good as some of the other players in the squad. But to say that he's been rubbish on every opportunity for the last two years, I just think isn't fair because he, he is not in a situation, he's not in a position where, he's, where you're going to get the best out of him. And I think it's going to be... Here's the thing, right? I think it's going to be a completely different story when Ox comes back from injury. If if Ox takes six months to get back up to where anywhere near his best, when he comes back from injury, it's going to be a totally different story. And I, I'm I'm not sure that that's necessarily fair, even though Ox is obviously a more talented player than Lana. The the thing I would say with that, I think with what we're wanting to achieve this year, I don't see where he's going to get any opportunity to play back up to somewhere near his best. Because on a normal match day squad, if everybody's fit, I don't see him even making the bench, if I'm honest. Um, we're out of the League Cup. So other than an FA Cup game, if we get a favourable draw, I just don't see where he's going to get his minutes and his opportunity. And with what we're trying to achieve, I don't really think we can afford to carry a passenger. That might be harsh calling him a passenger. We're trying to give somebody that opportunity to play himself back up. Points are, are precious and we can't afford draws. A, a draw at Arsenal this season is seen as a negative result because of what City are doing. So I just don't see where he's going to get the opportunity to play himself back into form. I do agree with that, and I do think that's a fair point. But equally, I then I then don't think you can be too hard on him when when he doesn't get those opportunities when he does start in a rubbish game with a rubbish midfield. He he's the one who has to be lambasted for it because it's not his fault, really, is it? Let's be fair. It, no, um, and whilst I would agree gets, with that. He gets a lot more stick in those sorts of games than other players in that midfield do when those other players have worse games. Just well, because I would Lallana. partially agree with what you've said there. The nature of our squad as it is now and what we're trying to achieve, those opportunities are going to be few and far between. And Shakiri had few or far between opportunities to begin with, but he has made an impact and now most people would want to see him play. So much as I agree with you, there was a lot of other players that didn't shine in glory when he was playing he didn't stake a claim to keep that shirt. And as harsh as it is, that's the position he's in. He is a squad player. So when he gets a chance, he's got to do all he can to win that. And football's ruthless. He hasn't done that. So 
why should he get that other chance? I agree. I completely agree with that. I just think that you know, I I do I do agree he doesn't necessarily deserve the chance. But I'm saying that my point is just that you have to be a little more maybe under I think maybe, maybe empathetic or understanding. But I think a lot of it is just sort of why is Lallana on the pitch? What is Lallana doing there? I don't want to see Lallana. And it's like okay, but there are certain games where he would offer something different. Like people people don't want a stale midfield every week. But when we actually play someone who can dribble a little bit and is more likely to play a creative pass in Lallana, he still gets a lot of to me, at least, it just seems like he gets a lot of vitriol just for having the audacity to start a Premier League game, and it just seems a bit unfair, especially when, you know, we are trying to rotate our squad, and sometimes we are just trying to rest other players. For me, I, I, I don't see him any more than a late game substitution. I, I, for, what I, for what I see from him now is, if I can harp it back to when I used to play 11 aside. You get that point when you realised, and this was like for me, mid twenties. I had a lot of problems with my hamstrings, and I just couldn't keep up with eleven aside anymore. So you just realise you can't play this. This isn't your game anymore. So the best thing for you is to go and play five aside, where you can smaller pitch. You can take your time. If you want to take a walk and a stroll, at times you can, and you can slow the game down to your pace. And the way the team developed over the last three and a half, four years with Klopp, we've surpassed players like Lalana and given the fact of the injuries he's had and some have been made out to be a lot worse than others and he has missed a fair chunk of time but then he has got back and he has got fit and sometimes he was rushed back and I think Rodgers did ruin him in terms of he rushed him back on several occasions to get him back into his team that we can't afford for the player of his ability now to be relied on in our midfield, especially when he plays with Milner, because you're putting in two players who like to play a lot of safety first and they haven't got the pace to be getting around the pitch. They've got the engines, maybe yes or no, but they haven't got the pace. And we found the games that he has started, he has played with Milner and we have seen so struggle in getting a grip and a hold in midfield and we have been overrun and, and surpassed. So for me, I, I see his only position within the squad now could only be if we're playing a game and you're 2-0 up and you want to give the likes of Salah, Shaqiri, Fabinho, Wijnaldum a bit of a blow for 10 or 15 minutes, you want to put a player on who's just going to hold the ball, keep it simple and kill the clock down. And that, that for me is his only role because I think if Ox would not have been injured or we would have got older Fakir in the summer, only for me with the loyalty from Klopp of the time he's had with him and the previous performances in 16 that he did put in, he would have been sold. And I personally, I would have sold him and upgraded him if we could have in the summer because we're not going to get the value anymore that the time goes on if we hold on to him. If we try and sell him in January, you might you might scrape 20 million out of somebody if you hold him on until next summer and he has the same continued performances throughout the season where he's turning in 5 out of 10, maybe a 6 or 7 out of 10 here and there and he's getting one game in five a sub-appearance two or three times, then his value is just going to go down and then we're just hemorrhaging money on an asset that we could actually knock on and shift in January and possibly upgrade should players be available that we would be interested in. Anyone want to add anything else on the Lallana thing? Or shall we move on? <laughs> that went longer than I thought it would. <laughs> no. No, I'm done on Lallana. Cool, we'll move on then. Um... 
oh god, I'm going to have to clip some more Elads because that went unwell. But um, we'll we'll go on to the next uh, player who causes yeah divisive. divisive. That's the word I was looking for there. <laughs> we'll go on to the next divisive one, possibly even more divisive than uh, than Lana is is Jordan Henderson. <clears throat> and um, Jay, I'll start with you on this one because you obviously came into the Lana chat late. And Henderson, I think everyone loved him in. It, 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 well, in, in thirteen, fourteen, even in fourteen, fifteen, um, everyone—I thought everyone knew what he was. He was a box-to-box midfielder, and then since Klopp came, he's turned him into number six. And I think it's fair to say his role has been kind of decreasing minutes-wise the longer Klopp's reign's gone on. And obviously, he's been injured this season, so it might give a false reading that-wise. But do you think Henderson? Was a player who did a job for Klopp, but is kind of now getting moved out of the. First team? Well, you've only got to take a look at the signings we made in the mm-hmm. summer. We signed two central midfielders. And for me, taking it back to that sad night in Kiev, our, our midfield was overrun, outclassed, outplayed. And I think at that point, two or three days later, we signed for Bino. Now, you can imagine that was probably all on the cards and sorted before Kiev, but Klopp's clearly identified that we needed strength and quality improvements in that position. Uh, for me, I've never really seen the hype with Henson, even from when we did sign him. And I can harp back years on social media and I've never, ever seen the true qualities that he's bringing. I understand people's reasons for the way they can see his qualities and the things that he does. But for me, he's just never been the Liverpool standard. And then, Unfortunately, he got handed the armband in a situation where we were at a pretty low point and the team was not full of leaders and not full of potential captains. And that weighed heavy on his shoulders and the pressure of you've, you're the next Steven Gerrard or you need to fill Steven Gerrard's boots didn't help. So he's took that for me personally and he's always tried to live up to the fact that he needs to be what Steven Gerrard was or half the player that he could be if he could try to be that. Now, I think it would not be that much of an issue if the armband was taking him off from next summer, if he's still knocking around the club and giving to Van Dijk because we all know he's the natural leader on the pitch and that might give him a couple more years at Liverpool where he's not got that pressure to the armband on him. And he can come in and be a squad player. By all means, now, he is useful within certain games. But I do think we need certain players around him with legs and energy and power to help him out in that midfield. And there's certain players, I think when we play Ginny and Henderson together, there is a lot of confusion about who is playing the number six because we all, as we've said earlier on, Ginny excels in the number six position and he's not very good in the eighth. Henderson was an eight, but doesn't seem to have the power and drive within his legs to push past people, or he doesn't seem to have the desire to want to do that. And for me, he does always play the safe ball rather than the risky ball. That if he did play that once or twice, and we've all seen his ability to play cross field balls, there's no harm in them, and he does pick out some really good 40, 50 yard passes, switch a play. But it's the little ball. You want him to play the little inside ball into the channels of the strikers and get people on the half turn that 
it, you, you can all see it, but he chooses just to play it safe. And for me, that's where we just need a bit more of a an upgrade. And given the fact that we've got two in the summer, is that what Klopp was thinking? So I know a lot of people will disagree with me and some people will agree with me, but for me, he's someone that we can upgrade on. And if we take the armband off him, we might get another couple of years out of him. But otherwise, if the summer comes and it's an opportunity to sell him and get a better player, and then for me, then yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd move him straight on. Yeah, yeah. Fair. I think it's fair. But Tom, you might be a bit more forgiving than Jay. What, what, what role do you think Henderson's played so far this season and what role do you think he'll play in the near future? I think, I think he's our fifth or sixth best central midfielder, and I think you can't have a squad of just two or three mm-hmm. world-class central midfielders. Because you need five or six decent midfielders in there. I'm not saying Henderson's world-class because he's not. I do agree big time that the issue with Hendo and Genie is that they both want to play the same role, and there isn't space for them both to do that. And I think it's a bit un- maybe not a bit unfair on them, but Klopp's not really used them together in a two when that would just make a lot more sense because they balance each other out a lot better um, when they've got a more attacking player in front of them. Um, whereas instead he's always sort of played them in a three, which doesn't get the best out of either Hendo or Genie, in my opinion. Um, I certainly think that hasn't helped. There have been times when Henderson's been really, really important. Um, there have been games this season where, particularly, I think, um, maybe not the Napoli game, but sort of the City game, and to an extent the Chelsea game, and obviously the PSG game, where we have needed to sort of keep the opposite, where we've had a, a lot of talented players on the other team, we have just kind of had to sort of steal it out a bit, and we have done that. Um, I think, I think to be fair, I think you could argue that Fabinho and Cater were coming in anyway because we were, we obviously lost Coutinho and we lost Emery, so we lost a big defensive player and a big attacking player in that midfield anyway. So we did need those sorts of players coming in, regardless of what you think of Henderson. Um, as I said, I think he has a role to play. I think it is a bit part role, and that's fine. I think you know you can't play Fabinho as much as I as much as I want to see Fabinho and Cater in particular those two playing week in week out. They can't play every game. There are always going to be games where you need to play Henderson, where you need to use your squad. Um, maybe Genie and Milner are the sort of ahead, of, primary backups ahead of Henderson, and that again, I think that's fine. Um, I, I don't maybe maybe you don't think you need to take the captain's armband off him. Just don't play him. Like I, I think it really is that simple. Just he's the captain when he's on the pitch. When he's not on the pitch, don't play him because he has demonstrated he's got a lot of good leadership skills, and he has demonstrated that he is a good captain. I think. Um, it's just that often his his ball playing ability has let him down. Um, so yeah, I would be look at it this way: if we sold him in the summer and we bought a really another really really good central midfielder, I would be fine with that. But equally, if we didn't uh, sell him in the summer and we, you know, we just kept on using him as a, as a rotation option, as a backup option, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate that either. I I think he is what he is. I think you know, again, I think he suff- suffers from maybe the Lalana syndrome in the sense that certain individuals and certain publications make him out to be a key player in this side when he isn't that. And I think there's nothing wrong with sort of saying, look, he's not a key player, he's not going to be a starter, but he does have a role to play in this side. And I think I think that's true. I just think he has to be utilised properly. And I I'm, I'm think that maybe we haven't got the best out of him in the last, few, in the last um, sort of 18 months or so. Mark, do you want to add your two cents? I mainly agree with everything that Jay and Tom have said, to be honest. I think one thing I would disagree with Tom on would be I think he'd be a better off-pitch captain. I think his work around the club, and again, go back to 13-14 when he got sent off against City and said that he'd do all the media work and take 
all the pressure off the players for the last couple of games was well received and well regarded. I think it's the captaincy on the pitch that weighs him down too heavy and I think he would benefit from that. The biggest issue I've got with him, if you like, is he just seems to have to be involved in everything. He drops back just ahead of Virgil and Gomez or Virgil and Lovren just to sort of get the ball off one of them and pass it to the other one. He, he just seems to have to be involved in things that he has no need or reason to be involved in. And whether whether that's the captain, see, weighing him down, whether that's Klopp's telling him to do that because he repeatedly does it and up until this season he was repeatedly getting picked. That's probably my biggest bugbear with him. He seems to take touches for the sake of taking them that he doesn't need to take them and that slows us down. Do you find with that markets when he when he's doing that, it pisses off the likes of Gomez and Virgil because I've seen it with notes that at the ground when when you're watching you don't see as much as you do on the TV obviously because you've you've got a different picture. But I find myself sometimes I'll be watching players and you'll find that Virgil and Gomez will either try and force him away and carry the ball out themselves and tell him to get up the pitch. And I think that's probably right because they're yeah. both so comfortable on the ball and their passing is is so good that we don't need him there. I just I just don't see the need of it. And it's not even when you're 1-0 or 2-1 up in the last five minutes to try and slow the game down. It's well, they can when see the bigger won... picture, can't they, from where they are on the pitch. If, if yeah. Henderson's coming back, he's got his back to play. So that's why I find that they're, they're just taking the, the play into their own hands and say, look, we, we can see the bigger picture. Get yourself 10 yards up the field and on the half turn and you, you, you're more advanced because we can bring that ball them 10 yards if we have to. Definitely. And as I say, if it was a, the last couple of minutes of a game and you're 1-0 up, 2-1 up and it's to slow the ball that game down to keep the ball, it's understandable. But it happens when it's 0-0 or we're 1-0 down and you're trying to chase the game that he just seems to want to be involved in things that we don't need him to be involved in. Push him 10, 20 yards further up the pitch and create more space up that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It's, a, it's something that is a, is a bugbear of mine, but you, you, you never know if it's just being Henderson's psyche and that's what he's thinking or whether he is actually being told tactically. If that's something Again, we, yeah, we, we might not never to, know. Go back to what we said about Ginny. Is it tactically? Is it what Klopp's telling him to do? Because it does happen game after game and you would think if if he's getting a bollock enough Klopp for doing it, he wouldn't do it the next game. So it's obviously... Not a big an issue to Klopp as it is to me and you. Yeah, that's very true. Okay then, lads. I mean, we're, we're about on an hour now. And I, I, as I said, I had to cut out a few. Uh, but I think we'll finish up on Bobby Firmino because I think everyone loves him, rightly so. But he, do, he has seemed to have changed his role. But Klopp seems to have changed his role. And there has been a few question marks about his form in recent times. Um, so, Mark, I'll start with you on this one. What, what, what do you make of Bobby this season? And do you think it's right that he's kind of moved back to a number 10 now? Or do you think he should continue to play as a 9, where last season he obviously had his, I think he had his best individual season scoring-wise, if, if that's correct. But what, what do you make of Firmino? Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I've been listening to, I was listening to the tactics pod and, hearing what they were saying about it, and then old school with Gags and Dave, and Dave saying that was what he played at Hoffenheim 
who we bought from, he played a 10, and, and Paul was in on the tactics pod that last year was a bit of an anomaly, and he doesn't normally get numbers like that, and he's not a clinical striker. It's It needs time to see if it can work. I think the 4 2 3 one's certainly something I want to see more of. I think there's a lot of potential there, and the movement between if it's Shakiri, Mane, Mo and Bobby can be devastating. It's going to need time for them all to find their feet. He, I don't think it, I didn't expect him to have numbers like he had last season. I think I expected more of him so far than we've got of him. But again, I don't think he's played poorly. I think he's played very well in games. And I think the Fulham game, he was starting to show more flicks and tricks and find his feet a bit more. Again, I think it comes back to expectation again because he had that season, last season, more is thought of him, where maybe if he'd have scored five, eight goals less last season, I don't think there would be as much made of him now as there is being, but because he was so good last season. But again, we haven't clicked as a as a team going forward this season like we did last season. But as Jay said earlier, the start of last season, we weren't firing on all cylinders. We weren't blowing teams away. We weren't scoring the number of goals we were scoring. So maybe it will all come now. I was happy to see he got taken off at half-time tonight, so hopefully he can come back. He's, he scored a few against Watford in the last couple of years and, and kick on again this the, the weekend. Yeah. Uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on Firmino this season? A bit of a mixed bag? <sighs> My thoughts on Bobby Firmino this season, I could probably write a dissertation <laughs> on the thing. Um I I I think it, I think it's a very difficult one to call. He's clearly playing in a different position, and it it makes logical sense because if you look at the makeup of our front four, the position Bob you're most likely to get the best out of Bobby in is the number ten position. But equally, you know, the club have been banging the striker drum for a while, and you know they'll they'll do like big puff pieces where like Mel already wrote like a you know one of those brilliant long pieces she does, basically saying you know Liverpool saw Bobby play for Hoffenheim and went that's the lab we're going to make our number nine. And, you know, Klopp's made a lot of effort in turning Bobby into a number nine as well, so I think it is interesting. Um, certainly, I'd agree, you know, expecting him to do as well as he did last season is probably off the table. Um, I think the big the big question for me, for me over Bobby, to cut it short, is are we not playing as well as a team this season because Bobby's not playing particularly well? Or is Bobby not playing particularly well because we're not playing well as a team this season? And for me, that's always been the question about Firmino. Everyone loves to make out that Firmino is this big system player, that he is sort of the most important player in this Liverpool team I'm not necessarily sure that that's true I think it I think it could equally just be the case that he's the sort of player that doesn't tend to play well unless he's being surrounded by players who are playing well I think that that there are players like that who tend to benefit more from other players playing particularly well I think you know you've got players like Salah who are the sort of players who will go oh today I'm going to turn up and win us this game you you've got players in your squad who are going to who on their day can just sort of turn up and just single-handedly tear a team apart. And then you've got players who are, are very, very good technical players, very, very talented players, but sometimes they need a Mo Salah next to them to be an elite player. And I think that's always the question mark over Bobby for me. Is he is he a player who makes others elite, or is he a player who benefits from being next to players who are elite? And for me, that that's the big question with Bobby, and it's it, it's one that might never have an answer, to be honest, because it might just be the case that he keeps playing badly and the system keeps not quite working or the system works and Bobby plays brilliantly and it, 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 there just might might never be a way to tell the truth to be honest yeah yeah Jay what do you think of that um, um, 
for me, it's, it's a hard one with Bobby. Um, earlier on in the season, I think I was saying that it was more to do with he always starts slow. He likes a nice summer holiday. He had the World Cup and so on and so forth. So I think everyone caught him a little bit of slack at the start of the season for being a bit off the pace, we could say. Um, but clearly we've seen in the last half a dozen games, he has been dropped back into this number 10 position. And at Hoffenheim, he did play that number 10. I think it was Patrick Herman off the top of my head or Hoffman. Uh, he's a right winger. Um, what's it? Volland? Volland. Herman. Volland. Kevin Volland. Yeah. Um, who played the nine and then Bobby would play the 10. But they were in more of a, a rotation. So it would be want to be the nine, want to be the 10, all the positions. But I think, um, with this season, the midfield for me has affected the way our front players have played. In terms of, we've had a bit of a, a mishmash and we've chopped and changed a lot in the midfield. We have seen a little bit more settled when we have played the 4 2 3 1 with uh, Fabinho and Ginny. But then I think it's we're missing that link of earlier on last season, we had Coutinho and we all know his qualities and the player that he was for us and his ability on the ball to spot a pass and play a through ball. And then the second half of the season was when Ox pushed on and we had someone driving with the ball and playing that ball into the channels and for the front players now we're obviously missing that this season because we have not got them two players available to us so I think that could be something that's maybe affecting us in terms of we're missing that 15 yards in the middle of the pitch just to play the free pass the slide ball so Bobby's naturally he likes to drop back in and he's playing in his number 10 position so we He's been the one who's been asked to do this, but I think he he might find himself, for me, a little bit lost when he comes too mm. far back and to drive the ball forward. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult one to judge because we all know last season was freakish in terms of the front three and the numbers that they put up. So we always have back because it's so short. In the memory of six months ago, we were blowing teams away. Where this season. We're not so far, and do we just need to take things a step back? And you know, we we can't be this all power and blow teams away action team because we tried to do that a few years ago, and it cost us the league because we were chasing goals at Palace and Chelsea. So is Klopp now looking at a more professional approach and? Asking players to do the tactical things that we have touched on several times and with several players. So I don't, I don't, I don't really know what to say on Firmino, but he can only get better and he's not really stinking the place out week in, week out. He is having an influence and we can see last week against Fulham, the confidence is there, the tricks, the flicks, the turns and it could just be now he's playing himself into a little bit of form. And as you said earlier on, he's only played 45 tonight. So hopefully maybe Klopp's had a word with the the Brazilian manager and just said, look, just give him a little run out. And then he's back in the squad for the weekend. And I think looking towards the weekend, a lot of our players haven't been played too much over this international mm-hmm. break. I think the African lads only played one game because they all had to qualify with one game and they all got that qualifying position so going into this weekend we're coming off this international break I've been quite positively in terms of we haven't got any known injuries into the squad which is always a positive and we haven't had players overused and run into the ground so maybe 
now we are getting into the meat and the bones of the season, we are going to see a lot more of a an upturn and games come thick and fast. And we all know that we play better when games come thick and fast. When we play one game a week, we seem to always start sluggishly in games. So hopefully that's a good omen going forward into the future. I think one one final thing on Bobby. Um, in a he's not. I, I agree with you. He's not. He's not having a terrible season in any respects. He's just not necessarily been quite where he where he was last season but if you look at his like his finishing his finishing if he has a similar if he has a season similar to last season in terms of goal scoring and he scores maybe even I mean to suggest he could easily have scored three more goals in the Premier League this season given the chances he's had is perfectly fair if he if he scores even three more goals he's got five goals two assists and that's very similar to Mane and Salah and I don't think we're quite having the same conversation it is because his finishing's dropped off a cliff a bit this season that the questions are going to be asked because he's only scored two league goals. I think that that's for me has got to be a big part of why the conversation's happening, if that makes sense, rather than necessarily sort of a, a, a big underlying issue. Yeah, makes sense. Really. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, agree. I think it might come from the fact that he is coming from a deeper position as well, and he's not got that electric burst of pace to to get into the box. So if he's dropped into the hole to to play the pass wide and the cross comes in or however we may play the build-up or the slide ball or whatever from Shaqiri like he's played in Salah then Bobby's not got that base of pace just to get in the box so that could be a factor in terms of why he's not getting on the end of things although you can't say he has missed a couple of chances that he should have really converted I mean his XG is almost identical to Mane's and Mane's got six goals and Bobby's got two so that, that for me just kind of says it all really yeah yeah, to be fair, man has been off the boiler smidge as well. <laughs> so both the both could get better, and I think they both have to get better. To be fair, but um, before we finish up, has anyone got any final points before I come to plugs and stuff? No. Right. Uh, so, Mark, uh, do you want to hand out your Twitter and stuff for people and any pods you've been on recently? Yeah, I've not I've not done one for a couple of weeks, but I'm on Twitter at, at Harry Wellsheet, so you can follow me on Twitter and see my ramblings on there. And that's about it, really. Good stuff. And Jay, anything uh, anything you want to let the people know of? Uh, no, I, would, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get a fantasy in this week or whether we're going to wait for the... Uh, I think it'll the, be next week. The, the fixtures yeah. to come back this weekend. Week. So we'll we'll squeeze a fantasy football in next week, yeah. So um, depending on how I do on that, I might make an appearance next <laughs> week. <laughs> if I get over 50 points, then you might hear me next week. If not, it might be a couple of weeks. But other than that, uh, no, just if you want to see more Rantons and Ravens, usually about um, midfield failings on Twitter, uh, jreed1987. Um, I like a good moan about the odd player here and there. Other than that, it's not much else from me. I don't do any writing, so just ramble about fancy football. Good stuff. And Tom, he'll probably have more writing and stuff to to uh, promote. Anything you want to let the people know of? Um, just the usual plugs. So, Writers Pod, which is what me and Leanne do most Thursday nights, um, which is really good fun. We get lots of great writers on to talk about their articles. Um, Rate Don't Hate, which is the AI pro show that I'm on, where we, uh, basically a post-match pod where we do the player ratings from each game. Um, Guy, you'll know about, oh, yes. you'll know about both those pods because you record most weeks. Uh, and then, yeah, just check out my writing. Um, I should have one out in the next couple of days about the PSG game and how that's a huge opportunity for Liverpool to basically stamp their authority on Europe. Um, yeah, and at Tom Holmes 19 is my Twitter. So just, um, yeah, hit me up. Good stuff. So we'll finish up there, chaps. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Let's get ready to rumble!
Podcast Network.